This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. You shouldn't settle for just any old pair of leggings. You deserve something better, something designed with you in mind, like the new Inspire Leggings by Kalia, their most versatile collection yet, made for any workout. They're lightweight, buttery soft, breathable, and made with lycra adaptive fiber, which molds to your body for a barely there supportive fit. It's perfect for wherever your wellness routine takes you. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Hello, welcome to Growing Greener. I'm Ara Anderson, and this is my podcast series for Gardener's World magazine, where I'm inviting experts to share their knowledge about how we can all become sustainable gardeners. Through a blend of science-based facts, research, experience, and above all passion, you'll discover how your actions in the garden will make a real difference to the planet. Trees are the life givers on planet Earth, providing the oxygen we breathe, habitats to thousands of species, while creating beauty in our landscapes. Yet, these giants of nature are at risk. I'm talking to world-renowned tree expert Tony Kirkham, who explains why we cannot and must not live without them. Hi, Tony. Welcome to Growing Greener. Uh, I think it would be probably fair to say you have chlorophyll running through your veins <laughs> because your love of trees started um, when you was a boy. So can you remember the first impression trees had on you? I can, Arit. I was about 10 years old and uh, and it was a, a, a science class at primary school. And I had a really good teacher who was very interested in uh, natural history and it was a Friday afternoon and she brought a big bunch of horse chestnut twigs into the classroom. And she was showing us the sticky buds, the horseshoe, uh, leaf scars, etc. And she said, this is a sign that spring's here. The buds are swelling, they get sticky uh, to uh, prevent insect attack, etc. And, uh, and when uh, you come back into school on Monday, these twigs will be in full leaf. And I didn't believe her. I just thought no one could be that good and guess that. But I um, I went home for the weekend. It was probably the fastest I ever got into school on the Monday morning. I rushed up the staircase into the classroom and lo and behold, that vase was full of twigs with leaves uh, coming out of them. And I just thought that was absolutely amazing. Uh, and sure enough, about a week later, all the horse chestnut trees that I used to collect conkers in the autumn for the game of conkers were in full leaf and soon flowering. And, uh, and that blew me away. And I think that was the, t- the turning point when I decided that, you know what, these are amazing things. Uh, and that's what I want to work with when I, uh, when I leave school. So my career was uh, really easily laid out and I needed very little coaching from the uh, careers officers at school <laughs> as to what I was going to do. And, and so it was a horse chestnut tree that, that got me interested, Arit. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I just, I think, I love listening to that because I, I, I think that so often, aren't we, wondering and worrying about what we're going to do, and you know, and and those callings, they are so that was so potent. There's no escape, was it? It's almost like you were pinned to the wall. There was no escape from that. It, it had grabbed me, and at the same time, I wasn't an academic at school. Um, and so you were either made milk monitor or blackboard monitor. <laughs> and I was made blackboard monitor. And every Friday I had to run down to the end of the playground with all the blackboard dusters 
and uh, and bang them on the trunk of this big horse chestnut tree in the playground and uh, and then bring them back so they were all clean ready for monday morning that was that was my job at school and arit i i you know you remember these things and when i um i was up seeing my uh, my dad uh, at christmas and i was a bit of a midlife crisis i decided i was going to go back to that school and look at that horse chestnut tree so off i went took my wife and I was really disappointed because I remembered it as a huge tree. And when I got there, it was quite small, um, but it was the same tree. And, um, and you know, just standing by it and just having five minutes under that tree was, was quite a nice emotional time, uh, thinking you were the one uh, that embarked me on my career. Thank you. And and I owe it to that tree and Miss Beasley, that science teacher. Yeah, the, the teacher, the fact that you've got the tree, the teacher and the day, the Friday, <laughs> there you go. There was no escape and we're very grateful for that. And I think, like you say, that emotion with trees, I, I was thinking the other day about mm, what tree was did sort of stood out in my life. And when I was younger, where we lived, we had like a little green outside um, the, the house and it was a big oak tree. And that tree, Tim Tap, Tim Tam, Tommy, hide and seek, sitting under the shade of it. And unfortunately, it it it, it got taken down in one of the big storms. So, and and it was such an iconic tree in our in our growing up that it, you know. And I was speaking to a friend about it not only the other day, and we said, "Isn't it amazing how how trees can impact our lives like that?" Absolutely, and and I'm sure that everybody has a story about a tree, and that's what's so amazing about them. And I think. It's probably why we're so close to them, and why we become very emotional when we when we lose trees because they're, they're they become part of the family. Yeah, they're bound up with so many things. Well, obviously, the fact that the horse chestnut wasn't enough for you won. So you then went on to be uh, have an amazing career at Kew Garden and look after fourteen thousand trees in that arboretum. I mean, absolutely astonishing. And I uh, was very lucky to have that wonderful walk one one time that you took 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 us through and um, one evening. But but you know, obviously that's at, at Kew, which is a, which is a world class um, arboretum. But what role do trees play um, in helping improve our gardens and environment? Well, I think first of all, we we look at trees uh, in our gardens as an ornamental feature, um, and we you know when we're when we're selecting a tree or we want to go out and plant one. If, if we're going to the garden centre this weekend to choose a tree to plant, then we're probably going off the ornamental uh, attributes that that tree is going to give us, whether it's autumn colour, spring flower, bark effect, the overall shape, habit of the tree and, and size. And I think that's really important because, you know, we, um, we, we, we can remember trees by, that, by those features and, uh, and, and they give us great pleasure in the garden. And they set off any other planting that we do, whether it's herbaceous or shrub planting, etc. And they can be a key specimen tree in the garden. But going away from that, what we what we forget is the importance of trees in terms of the beneficial elements that they give us. So, you know, without trees, we wouldn't be breathing today. So they provide the oxygen that we breathe. And, and the majority of that will be coming from woodlands and forests. But in urban situations and suburbia where we live, um, trees still play that vital role. They absorb carbon dioxide that, that we breathe uh, as a waste product. They take it in. 
and they use it to give us that oxygen. Um, in summer, they're incredible cooling um, natural air conditioning units. So uh, you, you mentioned straight away the oak tree that you remember sitting under it for that shade. So they give us the shade and they can uh, they can reduce the temperature uh, the the air temperature by about ten degrees in the in the heat of summer, and if climate change continues the way it is, then we're going to need that shade. You know, we're, that will become more and more valuable uh, as as time move, as time moves on. In in our gardens, they uh, they soak up the water so they can prevent erosion. They can reduce the uh, the water the the water runoff. Um, that that we get from from heavy rainfalls, and we're seeing more storms. And one of the things that we are experiencing now with our climate is more, um, um, you know, higher rainfall, hotter temperatures. Every, everything's a record now, isn't it? So we have the hottest temperatures of of a month. We have the the highest rainfall, and trees can can reduce that. And what we shouldn't remember, you know, we shouldn't take for granted trees in the sense that um, they will not solve all the problems that we are experiencing. We we have to reduce our CO2 emissions, and trees will help us to do that, and they will help us to uh, to absorb that and mitigate um, you know, the, those gases, but they won't do it on their own. They will need help from us. Noise pollution, you know, trees in summer or evergreen trees will reduce noise pollution from roads, from traffic, etc., they uh, they slow wind down, so you know the storms that we're getting. Then trees will will slow that wind speed down. So it, they they provide a huge, and, and I've only listed a few. Our mental well being, you know, we've both talked about trees that we remember that um, that helped us on our way. Um, and you know, if we're feeling a bit down, we can go and sit under a tree. We can walk round a tree, walk through a park full of trees. And that will improve our mental well-being, and, um, and and I think we've all experienced that at some time. So, there are incredible things that the list would go on. Uh, and what I haven't mentioned is uh, the biodiversity that they support, uh, which is which is enormous, uh, and all our biodiversity relies on trees. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I mean, as you say, the list when you even just just a few things you've touched on, and you know. We kind of think of when we were at school, yes, they give us oxygen, but clearly they are invaluable. Now, I think it was very interesting that you just said there that we we know their importance, but we can't rely on them just to solve climate change. And I think it would be just good just to touch on this um, this this point because we're hearing in the news that's okay, just plant three trillion trees. Or that's okay, we're going to take out that ancient woodland, we'll just plant some new ones. What is the real thing going on there, Tony? Because there's some very mixed messages um, happening. Well, you know, as we said, trees won't solve the problem entirely. We have to reduce emissions, but they they do absorb um, carbon and, and, uh, and, and they take that from the atmosphere and bank it for us. But you know, if we plant a tree today, then it's going to be at least 10 years before that tree starts to work to start banking carbon. And, you know, I, I'm not a pessimist, but I, I'd like to think that we're all planting trees properly and we give them the respect and the aftercare that, that they deserve and that they need. And unless we get a tree through to establishment, so we talk about tree planting targets 
And that's all well and good. You know, we can, we can all go out, we can plant 3 million trees this year or 5 million trees, whatever the targets are. But, you know, my belief is that that, that should be changed to establishing 3 million or 5 million trees because we can plant trees, walk away from them. And if we don't, you know, if you have a really uh, hot summer or a, a drought period, which we see most springs now, then there's a chance that those trees won't establish to independence. And uh, and what we need to be doing is establishing those trees. So in five years' time, those three million trees that we planted will they still be alive, and will they still be will they be working? So we've got to get to, we've got to get the targets more from planting to establishment. Um, and the best thing that we can do actually is preserve what we've already got. So you know, if you've got a fifty or a hundred year old or a two hundred year old oak in our park or our garden, that's what we need to look after because that's working. That's doing all the work for us already. Um, so preservation of of woodland um, is, is more important. is is as important uh, as as planting new trees. Yeah, and I think that's an incredibly important point because that's what I've you know when I've been listening to different. Um, uh, different news items and things, it, it kind of could make us sort of sit and think, that's okay, problem solved. But I think, and I think in a garden, you know, space is precious. You know, most of us, like my good self, have a small garden. My garden has got a great big eucalyptus at the end of it. Um, and I didn't, I have to say, I didn't really think I'd probably still be there 10 years later. And so's the tree. Because the, you know, the guy that come round was like, yeah, you could just chop that down and put something new in. And then I didn't know what I know now, but something in me said, no, that tree's got to stay. It wasn't the tree's fault. It got put in the wrong place. So it stayed and I just have to look after it, keep the keep the uh, shape and size of it under control. And, and there's an important message there, Aris. It's about, you know, if when we are planting, and let's not say if we are planting, let's say when we are planting, because we should all be planting a tree, uh, especially this year because it's a Queen's Green Canopy, um, you know, celebrating her Platinum Jubilee. So, you know, there, there's a, a real push to uh, to do tree planting this year, not just to improve the planet, but to celebrate, you know, Her Majesty's reign. And, and I think that's a really good thing. And, you know, I see lots of schools and local community groups planting trees to celebrate um, to celebrate that. But it's about planting the right tree in the right place. And then looking after it and and establishing it, and if we get that right, then we we won't go far wrong. And there's so much literature now, um, you know, books, the internet about trees, the sizes they make, what they do, what they provide for us. That um, it's it, it's quite a, a straightforward process to select the right tree for the right space um, that you're planting. And I, one thing that I haven't mentioned is, you know, we talk about tree planting and and. There are a lot of things we we can fly to New York and we can offset our carbon footprint by planting two or three trees, and I think you know that to me it, it's not right because it, we're not actually reducing our carbon footprint because we're we're saying, oh well we pl- I planted three trees so that absorbs it you know let's plant three trees and reduce our carbon footprint and uh, and and if everyone does that then we'll be in a good situation. Yeah, no, that's a very good point as well. We don't want to trivialise um, the importance of trees. Now, one thing I do want to go back to the garden, okay, in terms of this tree selection, because I I was quite shocked, but I guess, you know, I should never take for granted. I was at a, um, a symposium one time and they there was this speaker up 
It was brilliant. And he showed two sides of the coin about trees. There was the tree lover, the tree huggers that were trying to preserve some trees in um, in an urban space near where they lived. And there were the tree, I don't want to say haters, but the tree people that were fear, fear trees. They worried about the roots and it's casting shade. And, you know, what what is it about this worry that people have about if I put a tree in my garden, I'm, you know, especially when it's limited space, worried that they're going to lose light, want to give all the light to a sunny, herbaceous border. What would you what advice would you give them that those well, people? Well, trees produce they, they can cause two types of damage, physical and nuisance. Physical is where they they can actually knock things over. They can, you know, they damage drains, they they go under the foundations and cause subsidence and heave etc on property and then nuisance where there's just a real nuisance and and i have a tree in my front garden that my wife <coughs> she she complains about it every year it's a big malice and every year it really performs incredibly well and puts all this blossom out that then gets walked in and stains the laminate flooring uh, so i i have to say look it, it's only one week or two weeks of the year you know we can we can manage that and live with that. And I, you know, I go out and buy an extra um, floor mat to, <laughs> to clean the feet before we come in. So I think we have to just, you know, weigh up and balance the, that against the benefits that, that trees give us. And um, yeah, yes, if you if you plant an oak tree a metre from the house, then you're going to have problems. Um, but you could plant a rowan, um, you know, three metres from the house, four metres from the house, and it's not going to cause a problem. And actually, modern houses today, modern foundations are very deep. So, um, you know, trees, uh, in, in, in certainly on non-clay soils, etc., then trees aren't going to cause those problems. And when when we have strong winds, everybody panics. We see these trees moving, but that's what they're designed to do. And it's only extreme weather events where we do get um, that we get issues with uh, with trees failing or falling over. So. I think it's not to get too um, too concerned and too upset about them and, and weigh up the pros and cons. And if you are planting a tree, then choose the right size for the for the for the right space, and uh, and you'll be okay. I mean, I mean, as you say, there is there is a lot of information out there. I mean, you know, obviously you've got a wealth of books. You've got your book, um, Growing Trees, uh, which has got very practical advice in there as, as, as well as the tree selection and I think I think you know, I agree with you you know go for a tree I mean when I look at my eucalyptus in those big storm events it's I mean eucalyptus as we know are pretty bendy and I can feel the feel the neighbor's eyes boring at me uh, because they're worried it's going to go over but you know I have to kind of I've, I've stood stood strong on it yeah. Tony yeah. and uh, and and you know it, I can see the birds uh, that go and live in it that they they come and fly in and before they come and fly into the garden and and, and forage for food etc so there are many um many many benefits so in terms of let's go back to this um the idea you know we, we've got to get these trees into gardens absolutely uh, tick on that one so the establishment because obviously that's where you know i'm sure that people certainly in their own streets we've all seen the poor sad dead tree um that's only been there for you know a year or two and it's finished what are some of the the key do's and don'ts that will help us to get these trees established if if i i mean you mentioned my book growing trees and and that was a book that i wrote for the q gardens uh, growing guide series and and that's written for the keen amateur you know it, it's it's not a professional reference but it's 
It's for the keen amateur who wants to plant a tree and establish it and then look after that tree. And it helps with tree selection as well. So it's pretty straightforward. Um, but, you know, planting a tree, there, there are about four or five key principles to planting a tree. Don't dig a huge hole. Dig a nice square hole about a spit, of the, uh, a spit deep of the, of the spade or the depth of the root ball that you're planting. Um, don't add any organic matter, so that unless it's really, really poor soil. But most soils in a in a domestic garden in a in suburbia will be good enough for a tree without adding um, extra extra soil or compost. Um, square hole, shallow planting. The soil that comes out put back and make sure you plant the tree at the right depth. That's the most critical part of tree planting. So find a nursery mark where the roots join the, the trunk, uh, and that should be on the surface of the uh, the container, and you'll see a changing colour of the bark, and that's the depth that the tree needs planting to. No deeper. So when you plant a tree, you should be able to see the top of the container, if it's a container-grown tree, that the tree was grown in. And then rather than add... Um, compost to the planting pit then mulch it <clears throat> with organic compost and the tree can then take that down as it needs it and when it needs it uh, without spoiling the soil the soil structure and when we come to staking a support in a tree only stake if it needs staking if it's in a really sheltered garden and it's a small you know say a garden center sized tree then the chances are it's not going to need a tree stake use a cane um, because what you need to do, and we talked about storms and seeing trees move, we need that tree to start moving as, as young as possible. And that's the tree getting used to its situation and starting to grow, you know, within the means of the garden and what winds come through, etc. Uh, and you'll produce a stronger tree than trying to stake it. And, uh, and we all overstake trees uh, and we all stake trees when they don't really need it. Okay, so that is a good, really good point because I think there's always a worry, isn't there? Keep it upright, but you need those, you need it to bend, don't you? Is what you do. You're saying. You need it to flex without it bending over too far, and and for the average garden centre tree, then a bamboo cane will be uh, more than adequate if it needs it. Okay, so then the watering regime um, to get that tree established, because obviously you know we're trying to be water wise. Um, but at the same time, we appreciate, you know, these trees take up, you know, litres of litres and litres of water as, they, as they're growing. What's the advice on that, Tony? Well, it, watering should be done prescriptively. So we, if it's if it's a wet spring, then we, we shouldn't need to water. Uh, but if we go into periods of drought and the trees in, say, its first three to five years of, uh, of planting, from planting, then it's going to need a drink. And... Um, and we should be giving it a good watering rather not little and often, but a good watering maybe every week, fortnight. Um, and it's difficult to say how many litres or how many gallons we should be putting on. But I think it's about looking at the tree and working out how much water it will need, feeling the soil, pulling the mulch away, checking if it's moist. And if it's moist, then, you know, that, that will be adequate. But, You'll know by looking at a tree if it's wanting to, if it's needing water. If the leaves start to hang down in the evening or early morning, not at the height of the of say midday, but 
in the in the latter part of the day or the early morning if the leaves are starting to droop a bit then that and that's a sign that it that it needs some water and certainly in the first year you're probably going to have to give the tree a drink so that that is really key that aftercare is really important and if you stake then after a year then that sh- that stake should really be coming off and if you need to keep that stake on for longer than a year then there's something not right with uh, that tree planting yeah so it's just keeping that obs- it's that observation, isn't it? Keep- it? It is observation. And and Eric, you know as well as I do that, you know, everything that we do is is about observation. You know, we're when we're designing gardens, when we're designing plantings, when we're looking at maintenance schedules, etc., we're looking and 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 getting a feel for the garden. And and it's and that's what we should be doing. And I think the other part as well with observation, and obviously I'm sure now you've seen a lot of change that's been happening in terms of biosecurity and pests and diseases that have come in, you know, over 40 years experience. You know, we're hearing terrible things about ash dieback, obviously oak possessionary moth, just to name two. Again, you know, we're trying to be more sustainable. We need to get these trees establishing. What's what's the what can we do to kind of help with biosecurity? Well, you're absolutely right, Eric. When I when I was at college forty odd years ago, all we talked about was Dutch elm disease and the elms. And you know, I can't remember the elms because when I came into arboriculture, the elms had, had more or less disappeared or were disappearing fast. Um, now we there there are hundreds of um, pests and diseases on the horizon that that uh, DEFRA are monitoring uh, that aren't necessarily here yet, and we don't want them here. And probably one of the, the the most important that you'll hear about is xylella. Um, so you know this is a this is a killer that moves from things like rosemaries, lavender, sage onto onto trees. And there are about 150 host species now of of xylella, uh, and it's on the continent, but it's not here in UK. And we need to keep that out. So biosecurity is really important. We should be buying British UK grown trees. Uh, wherever we can if we do import trees from the continent and and we shouldn't stop doing that but we should be using reputable nurseries um, that have nurseries in the uk and when those trees come over from the continent then they should be grown on a nursery in the uk for a year as a as a type of quarantine where they're monitored on a regular basis um, and checked for pests and diseases by inspectors from uh, from defra and afa and um, because once a tree goes into the landscape, then I, I call them orphans because that you know they go, they, we plant them and then we walk away from them, and the chances of another contractor coming along and looking after it the way that it should be is is, is very very minimal. You know, someone might not be looking at that tree in the detail that it needs to, and if there's a pest or a disease on it, uh, and it's in the landscape, then it's too late. And uh, and it and that that's going to then spread onto other trees. So by that tree being on a nursery, it can be checked regularly, inspected, and if there is anything wrong with it, then it can either be destroyed or the pest um, managed. So biosecurity by UK grown stock. You know this is a really good time for UK nurseries because there's a huge demand for trees. If you're trying to buy a tree now, then you'll find it very very difficult to find one because they're all sold. Um, and uh, and so you know it's a good time for the the UK nursery industry, and we should be supporting them 
uh, wherever we can. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I think also, I guess we should be saying that if people are concerned that they feel that their the tree that they've bought, they can't identify if it's really sick, they should get some get some advice, shouldn't they? And, and you're absolutely right, Harris. And there's, there's so many, uh, you know, there there are so many apps available now and websites um, that you can use to identify pests and diseases and report uh, anything that you feel isn't isn't right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that 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 is the that's the serious side of trees. You know, the, these they're big living beings. We've got to look after them. But kind of um, going back to the, the the positives that they give us. Um, you know, I I am more than aware of the fact that how urbanised you know the the UK is becoming. You know, the world is becoming. We are going to become more urbanised as our um, uh, as we grow in population. So one thing um, that I, I, I want to really hear about in, in your views, um, you know, urban forestry. Um, you know, I, I sat at a great conference a few years ago and just was absorbed with tree tree specialists. It was just fabulous. Um, but, you know, urban forestry is, is, is a... I say new. That's not fair to say new, but it's it's, re, it's it's getting more momentum. Can you kind of talk a bit more about what it is what it's about? Yeah, and and it, it's a strange term, isn't it? I remember when the, the first time I heard the term urban forestry. I think it's a North American term, and I just thought, what are we are we growing Sitka spruce by the million in uh, in on Parliament Square or something? You know, <laughs> what is this uh, forestry? And and basi- but basically, it is about growing trees in in urban areas and. Uh, and on a on a large scale, and, and managing trees, planting trees, you know, proper trees in in the right conditions, um, and looking and looking after them. And you're right, as we become more urbanised, then urban forestry will become more and more important. And you know, we talk about tree planting, and um, you know, we we see lots of um, tree planting being done in fields and and creating new woodlands, etc. But actually planting trees in urban areas is just as important. And that's that's a side to urban forestry. Um, and there's always somewhere in uh, in a city or in a town or a village to plant a tree. And, you know, we met at, at the start, we talked about um, extreme temperatures, etc. And if those if if climate change continues at the rate that it's going now, and we do get these uh, extreme temperatures and extreme, um, rain, you know, extreme rainfall causing floods. Then urban forestry is going to be more and more significant and important, and we're going to need those trees to provide the shade uh, that we're going to that we're we're going to need to uh, to combat these high temperatures, etc., and clean and clean the air. So. Tree planting in urban areas and, and managing trees in urban areas is is just as important as as woodlands in uh, in rural parts of the country. Yeah, and as gardeners, obviously we we contribute to that urban green infrastructure massively. Harry. we you know the the in fact most cities uh, need um, the back gardens, and you know if the back garden's large enough and. Um, you know, we'd we'd all like acres, but we all have domestic gardens. Uh, I my garden here, I've I've got about six trees in it. Uh, it's probably too many, um, but I keep an eye on them and I uh, I, I watch them. Um, but you know, if we all planted a tree in our back garden and managed it, then think of the pressure that would take off uh, local authorities, local councils, etc. But also, not only that, but 
you know, if if there's a new tree planted in your street um, and then we have extreme temperatures or a drought period, then think about giving it a drink of water just because it's not in your garden. Um, you know, running across, well, I need to be careful what I say here. When I say running across the road with a bucket of water, um, you know, under supervision, you, uh, if, you're, if you're children. <laughs> but, um, you know, if there's a tree outside your house that's been planted by the local authority, then that's a capital investment for, you know, for, for you as a taxpayer. Um, then give it a helping hand and, uh, and uh, you know, a bucket of water, a couple of buckets of water in the in the summer at the heat at the height of summer if if you can see that it that it needs that and most local most local authorities would welcome you to do that so some so for example in richmond where i am most of the new trees that go out um have a sign on saying please water me uh, if i if i need it and i think that's a really good thing and it also gets people closer to nature closer to that tree and that tree becomes part of the family that's then looked after and and kept an eye on and uh, that can only be a good thing yeah and i think uh, what i really like about what you've said is the fact of you know getting us all to think just beyond our our own fences because 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 our gardens are are forming part of the bigger picture so of course there's a boundary and we you know we we own inverted commas um our bit of land but but i think that 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 feeling of being outside as well sorry a wider connection is is incredibly important and especially with trees because you know I've probably like you I've got too many in my four and a half <laughs> meter by 15 meter garden I've managed to cram in about yeah four five six small trees but it's so funny because um when we had one of those really hot summers um during lockdown actually it got really hot didn't it and 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 we were able to sit out you know my partner he can't cope with the heat and it was incredible the amount of difference that that shade made and and you know going back to um the services of trees you know the the biodiversity i mean the the, the birds were very lucky where we are i mean i'm in a terrace and and we do watch, you know, our garden's got the most amount of trees in it. Um, but we watch <laughs> them come in to the higher canopy and they literally do as we expect. They come into the eucalyptus, they come down into the, um, the you know, the ceanothis and then they go into the shrub. That's what they need, don't they? The biodiversity exactly, yeah. needs it. Biodiversity absolutely needs it. And, you know, just to give you some, I, I hate facts and figures, uh, I hate numbers, but that's you know good. these no, yeah these numbers are really good and they get you to think so a mature oak tree our english oak tree either the sessile or the peduncular oak um there are a, approximately 2300 different species of biodiversity that live in an oak tree uh that includes fungi mosses ferns mammals birds insects you know you name it uh that's that's their home and of that 2,300, 326 are what we call obligate species. So those 326 only live on the oak, nothing else. They, you know, they need the oak tree. And then there are 230 that are rarely found on any other trees. They will go on other trees, but rarely found on other trees. And I think if you just crunch those figures and think about it, that's the significance of the oak tree. Uh, and why we need to look after our existing woodland or mature oaks on village greens, in streets, um, etc. You know, they are highly important um, habitats. 
Um, and you know that, and th- so that's a native species. I'm 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 not anti planting exotics. In fact, I you know I encourage people to plant exotics. And if we are going to build a resilient landscape uh, in the next fifty years, then diversity is the key. Diversity of species. So you know mixing it up. We can't afford to be planting monotypic woodlands now of one species. Um, so the more species that we can plant, the better. And I'm all for integrating native species with non-native species to to make um, a healthy, uh, diverse, and resilient uh, woodland. Yeah, that 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 is. I mean, I think we're hearing this repeat about diversity is is so important, um, not just within the people population, but also yeah, within in our, in, our, in trees as well. <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's so key, and um, and I think also as well, it kind of goes back to where we started again at the beginning of the conversation. Of course, the aesthetic and the size and, um, you know, how it's going to fit in in our garden, the tree we select is important. But if we can maybe go out and buy two, one for our visual beauty and that one that's going to do function, you know, like the rowan, obviously it's berries, et cetera, so that we, we're, we're, we're satisfying the all, really, I guess, isn't it? Absolutely um, right, yeah. And I, you know, we... So we have selection criteria. I'm sure when you when you design a garden for Chelsea Flower Show, then you've got a criteria that you're looking for 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 May or September last year. But in May, you know, you want a tree that's going to perform and really highlight that garden, and you and you all do it um, so well. Um, but at the same time, um, I think we need to be bringing in a lot of other factors now that we've never really thought of before. So I've just written an article for a magazine on uh, pollinating insects. And and by writing that article really got me thinking um, about, um, you know, okay, yeah, let's have flower, but when do we need that flower? And and when do pollinating insects need that flower? So when are trees, when, when, when is there very little pollen and nectar from trees? When are trees not flowering? So maybe the end of summer, uh, August and September. So choosing trees um, for the flower during those months um, is 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 going to be good for pollinating insects. I was out I was out the other day in a woodland uh, last week. It was really warm. It, it, you know, it was a bit breezy, but it was nice. The number of bumblebees that were out were amazing, and I'm just thinking, you know, they're they're really working hard now. I mean, bees work hard anyway, but those bumblebees were working extra hard because they were looking for pollen um and things like dandelions i know that you know they're not trees but just think if we if that woodland was planted with hamamelis or parotia or you know some other winter flowering shrub then you know they they'd have it, we would have made their life easier so we need to take all these things into consideration as well yeah and i think that that's one of the things tony with sustainability is is doing the research take the time don't don't knee jerk to things i mean things like you've just said that classic one with the with the, the nectar source you know if if somebody is I, i'm thinking if somebody is um thinking about getting a tree for their garden and what to get Go outside, like you've said, go and look at the street trees that are there. Go and have a walk in your park because you might find that it's all spring blossom. So therefore, if you buy your tree with autumn flowering, you're you're really, really then serving the wider environment, aren't you, and helping... Yeah, and improving that landscape dramatically, yeah. 
Yeah, no. Yeah. So that that's a really uh, great tip. Um, but you know, it's it's clear that trees um, are more than just leaves and bark. And clearly, you know, we 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 started off with the spirit of those trees. And I have to say, I I really enjoyed um, watching the programs that you did with Dame Judy Dench. Just just seeing, you know, the experience and, you know, the love of trees from yourself as an expert and then seeing um, Dame Judy just talk about the general passion that most of us have about trees. It was really wonderful to see yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah, it was really great to see. I mean, I could sit, obviously sit here, as you can tell, and talk all day, <laughs> which is not really very fair because people have got things to do. So um, if we had to have one final takeaway point... What one change should we all be making now in our approach to trees? I think if we all looked at trees as people, uh, and even if and if we took that further, and if there was a tree outside and we looked at that tree as a person and a member of your family, and we gave trees the respect that they that they deserve, uh, and we look after them more, then that I think will be an amazing uh, step forward. And there's an, an old Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time's today. And if we, you know, if we haven't got a tree in our garden, then let's, let's go out and plant one. It might be a bit more difficult this year because of the shortage of trees, but I'm sure if we have the will, we'll find one in your garden centre or your local nursery. You know, celebrate the Queen's green canopy by by planting a tree. We, we and um, it's not the end of the planting season. It, we're we're still we've still got the spring planting season, but we're, we've got summer, and then we go into autumn, and we can you know that's for me autumn is the best planting time so we've got plenty of time to do everything that we've said that we've talked about that we go out we do our research make sure we got the right tree in the right place and we buy the tree from a good nursery in uk uk grown um thinking about you know everything that that tree does everything that we want from that tree uh and then do an autumn planting perfect there you go it's, it's as simple as that i love it that's just, that's all we've got to do. <laughs> I, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, but it, I it, hope. But yeah. that that's all we can ever do is hope. And I have to say, you know, we we have to give thanks to all of those uh, people and designers and landscapers of two, three, four hundred years ago, five hundred years ago. We enjoy those trees now. I walk around Kew Garden. I know that you're not there anymore, sadly, but but you know, I walk around Kew Garden and I think, wow, those people that planted those trees can't see the beauty that I'm enjoying now. So you're absolutely right. Let's put some trees down for other people to enjoy in future generations. And, and leave a legacy, an important legacy. Yeah. Oh, it's been amazing talking with you. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to me, Arrett Anderson, on the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. You can find out more about the themes we've covered today at gardenersworld.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it. Rate us in your podcast provider app. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify or Acast to never miss an episode. See you next time.